Welcome to the Life Performance Podcast. Special interview today with Naraj Naik. And he is known internationally as the Renegade Pharmacist. Naraj is dedicated to educating people on topics of holistic health, breathwork, meditation, and more. Naraj started his path in healing others as a community pharmacist, yet after several years, he found himself a patient of stress-related depression and ulcerative colitis. This was a wake-up call that made him embark on a journey of profound self-healing and education. He's an ex-pharmacist turned holistic health expert, founder of the International School of Breathwork, Soma Breath, In addition to his website and blog, The Renegade Pharmacist, he has created many other brands related to health and healing. This is a fantastic interview. I hope you enjoy it. Naraj, thanks for joining us. And if you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself, and if I said the words aerobic means healthy, what that means to you and how you've come to that understanding. Okay. uh, So... I might actually be a little bit controversial in that regard because I actually believe that anaerobic exercise is the secret to getting healthy, like really healthy. And I'll, um, I'll back that up with as much evidence as I can. Love it. <laughs> so, so in order to answer that question, we need to go back in time. So basically thousands and thousands of years ago, um, there were these yogis we don't really know even how long ago this goes back, but they created the system of pranayama. And the way they created the system of pranayama was by quite a, quite a lot of it was by studying nature and animals in nature specifically. And you can observe in nature that animals that live a long time, like elephants and turtles, they have very slow breathing rates, like two to four breaths per minute. All right. Animals, that don't live a long time, uh, like rodents, like rats and mice, they actually have very fast breathing rates, like 150 breaths per minute, right? So it's massive difference. And they live like one or two years. But now we've got some anomalies to this rule, okay? We have the naked mole rat. The naked mole rat is a rat, but it lives uh, up to 30 years free from disease, right? And they try to give it like diseases in the lab and it's very robust and it's very difficult for it to get sick. And it's like it's reversed aging, the aging process. So what's different between the naked mole rat and normal rats is that the naked mole rat lives underground in a hypoxic environment where carbon dioxide levels are very high and oxygen levels are very low, right? And it can hold its breath about 18 minutes at a time, okay? So another weird anomaly to this is the whales. Whales, like the bowhead whale, live 200 years plus. They don't seem like they die at all, right? And they, they are generally pretty robust, don't get sick. And they can hold their breath for up to two hours at a time, okay? And human beings can consciously control their breath. So that gives us this choice. You want to be like rats? You want to be like naked mole rats? You want to be like whales, elephants? What do you want to pick? And 
if you look at pranayama, it's a system of techniques that makes you extremely efficient, hyper-efficient at utilizing oxygen, right? It's not about deep breathing. It's not about heavy breathing. It's actually about reduced breathing, right? And adaptive uh, breathing techniques to a low oxygen environment. So using breath retention, holding your breath to simulate low oxygen environments internally to make you adaptive to those environments. Now, why would you want to do that? Why is it that animals that can hold their breath for long periods live longer, free from disease? The reason is because of this. So there's a scientist called Helmut Sees. Helmut Sees created the term oxidative stress. He was the father of redox chemistry. Okay, very, very brilliant scientist. And he says that although it's very difficult to live without oxygen, it's also very difficult to live with oxygen. The problem is with oxygen is oxidative stress, right? Oxygen causes cellular damage, right? It can mutate DNA. It can oxidize things. It combusts things. It burns things, right? If you look at metal in, you know, when you leave your car out, it gets oxidized and it rusts. So this internal rusting also happens, okay? When you have too much excess oxygen or if it's not used effectively and it stays stuck to our red blood cells. The red blood cells are there to transport. It stays, it needs to go from the cells to the tissue cells, okay? So there is a whole thing about adapting to oxygen and you can see this in nature you can see this in the emerging science okay so another guy that you may all be very familiar with is Wim Hof right the ice man and he can hold his breath for a very long time um, he's a very good friend of mine we've like done a lot of cool stuff together um, and his Wim Hof method is all about actually training yourself anaerobically which means in the absence of oxygen, to become adapted to low oxygen, all right? Although he doesn't say it like that, that's actually how it is, because uh, I've worked quite closely with, with them and, and really gone deep on this. And the Wim Hof method itself as a technique also comes from um, pranayama. There's, there's the equivalent techniques in pranayama. It's called Bastrika and Nishesha Rachaka, where you hold your breath for extended periods of time. And when you can hold your breath uh, beyond a certain point, you create a state called intermittent hypoxia, lower than normal oxygen. It's the same physiological state that happens when you go up to a mountain, high altitude, and you go into a low oxygen environment, okay? And what scientists have shown is that when you uh, go into these high altitudes, right, when, and you come back down to sea level, a lot of people who are suffering from chronic diseases, stress-related diseases, get a uh, improvement in their symptoms. And then also um, uh, athletes, endurance athletes, tend to perform better when they come back down to sea level. And this is backed up as well by the Mexican Olympics. In 1968, Mexican Olympics, the athletes are breaking records left, right, and center. And their scientists were wondering, why is this? Well, the difference between the Mexican Olympics and other Olympics was it was done at high altitudes, right? So people climatize, the athletes climatize 
to a low oxygen environment. What happens when you go into a low oxygen environment? That adaptation means your body freaks out. It's like I'm running out of oxygen. So what it does, produces more red blood cells, improves cardiovascular proliferation. You get more um, uh, like proliferation of like blood vessels in your heart and your brain. And you also increase myoglobin in your cells, which is a store of oxygen. So by going into a low oxygen environment, you become more efficient at using the oxygen. And then the net effect of that over time is that your breath rate comes down. You need to breathe less. So actually, what I've devised is a series of techniques through Soma Breath, which goes back to the root pranayama, to train you to eventually need to breathe less over time. So actually, your breathing rate slows down. And if you look at all the studies around this, slow breathing is associated with better health, better fitness, better endurance. And I can explain the science behind why that is as well on a deeper level. But then also, if you look at like um, certain cultures that live a long time, they tend to live in higher altitudes. The Nepalese, for example, the Gurkha army, the world's strongest army, they live and train at high altitudes, right? You know, the Nepalese Sherpas, basically, they go up and down mountains all the time. So there's something about high altitude training, living at high altitudes where the oxygen was very low, right? And your health. And then there's some other, other stuff I can tell you about, which is really incredible. And this is more new research that, and we know now that when you're in the womb, your oxygen levels are like at the top of Mount Everest, really low. And you're a bundle of stem cells rep uh, replicating. Stem cells hate oxygen. They love hypoxic conditions. As soon as you're born, you take your first breath, um, the stem cells disappear and they hide in areas of the body called niches where they don't come out unless there's an emergency like trauma, very low oxygen environments can trigger it or difference in temperatures. So extreme temperatures like going into a sauna, or going to an ice bath activates these stem cells too. Okay. So um, basically, what happens is when you go into these low oxygen environments, or even if you hold your breath for a period of time, okay, and create a low oxygen environment internally, stem cells wake up and they go to areas that need, uh, you need to lower inflammation. They also go to restore and repair areas of the body, okay? Now, if you can exist at a low oxygen environment, all right, like these superhuman yogis, Perhaps they figured out a way to cheat death themselves by being able to survive in very low oxygen environments. Because Swami Sivananda, who's a very famous yogi, he says um, that you don't measure a, a person's life by the number of years, but by the number of breaths. And, they, and he says, like, simple rule, your normal breath rate is 15 breaths per minute and higher your age is gonna be uh, 70 years or less, all right? If it's uh, 10 breaths per minute, okay, it's gonna be above 70 years, going towards 80. Now, if it's lower than 10 breaths per minute, then it can actually mean that you can live your optimum lifespan. For humans, it's generally around 120 years and beyond, right? And so, 
you know, maybe these legends of superhuman yogis who live forever is actually true because they just adapted themselves to very low oxygen environments. Can I, you know? can I clarify for the listeners? Yeah. A, a low oxygen environment. There's a couple of different environments within our body. So I know that there's the difference between what's in our blood and what's getting through to our tissues. So yes. if we can clarify the environment that we want low oxygen in, because obviously there's always at, even if you're breathing slow, even if you're breathing regularly, you've got 99% saturation of oxygen in your red blood cells, in your, in your yes, blood. You got it. Um, but the low oxygen state that we want is going to create higher levels of CO2. So the oxygen is going to get across into our cells. But when we're, when we're flooded with oxygen and the low CO2, the oxygen's pretty much staying in our blood and not getting across. So can you yes. explain how that, that the one environment is in the cells and we want higher CO2 levels and the other environment is in the blood? Yeah. So great question. So yes, there's a difference. So let's uh, talk now again, going back in time to a scientist from Russia called Buteko, who observed that, again, he backed up this whole thing of reduced breathing, the less you need to breathe, the better, the healthier you are. And what he would do is actually, uh, in, with his, he was a doctor, he would um, get his patients to hyperventilate. And when they would hyperventilate just for a few minutes, their disease symptoms would expand and he could it's called a high forced hyperventilation test you could actually find out which areas of the body are suffering you know which organs are malfunctioning through the hyperventilation test because the symptoms would get worse basically what he showed was that most diseases arise from low body tissue oxygenation okay so what that means is that oxygen isn't getting from the red blood cells to the tissue cells. And the cause for that is basically a disruption of the Bohr effect. The Bohr effect means uh, your body has a very smart, intelligent way of knowing where to drop off oxygen, right? So your body tissue cells, they respire as well, okay? They're breathing as well. So they're pumping out carbon dioxide and absorbing oxygen. However, when you're like, say, active, let's say you're exercising, you're using your muscles up, you're going to, uh, you know, uh, produce more carbon dioxide in those areas. And then your body knows then intelligently to drop off oxygen in those places where the carbon dioxide levels are high, right? However, if you hyperventilate, you breathe out too much carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is the real secret here. And carbon dioxide is essential for getting the oxygen where it needs to go, okay? We've been led to believe that carbon dioxide is some toxic waste gas, and actually it's, it's a bit of a myth. We need carbon dioxide, we need optimum levels of carbon dioxide, and carbon dioxide tolerance as well, in order to make sure our body tissue oxygen levels are adequate. So if you don't have adequate amounts of carbon dioxide, your oxygen levels remain high in your blood, and you're not getting a good um, kind of flow of oxygen to your body tissue cells. And that's where you get this issues of oxidation, right? And then your breathing rate may be faster, you may be hyperventilating. 
It may be more stress producing more, more um, adrenaline. And the other problem with oxygen is that it causes vasoconstriction. So high oxygen saturation, low carbon dioxide levels, which changes the pH of your blood, causes respiratory alkalosis, which means you get contraction, right? So when you overbreathe, your blood vessels shrink. Carbon dioxide is a dilator. They keep your blood vessels expanded. Same with nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is another very important gas, which you produce through nasal breathing only. And you must, that's why you should always breathe through your nose, one of the main reasons. And nitric oxide is also antiviral, antibacterial. It's a dilator, bronchodilator. So it works with carbon dioxide. So what we really, what really is important here is carbon dioxide. Like if you have a pulse oximeter, like I've got here right now, you can see very easily that um, the, I don't know if you can see that, yeah, that my oxygen levels are going to be with just a little sip of air, always around 98%, right? They're always going to, it's always going to be put like, unless you've got some real issue of getting oxygen from your lungs into your bloodstream, almost everybody's going to have full saturation, even if you just take a little sip of air, right? So ox is, we have an abundance of oxygen. It's the carbon dioxide that's the problem, right? So when I'm talking about low oxygen environments, I mean actually environments where carbon dioxide is higher, oxygen levels are lower than normal. Yeah, and how does that relate to health? I mean, you can see the difference in somebody who's healthy. I mean, as you said, even pH changes and then the body has to work harder to try and maintain the pH. Um, So you're putting more stress on a lot of other organs um, and the cells aren't getting oxygen. So they're in an anaerobic state. So at the very start, you said anaerobic is good, but if the cells themselves are anaerobic in terms of they are in a low oxygen state, they're going to be just using the glycolytic pathways of burning sugar all the time and producing more oxidative stress. So no, so anaerobic by anaerobic, I mean, anaerobic exercise. Yeah. So if we in anaerobic, let's go back to that, then let's explain what happens in anaerobic exercise that is so good. And I've actually done some of Patrick McEwen's um, practices and I've had him on our podcast and where I've laid in bed and I've done the restricted breathing. So my oxygen saturation has lowered down to in the eighties and I've held it for minutes and therefore my carbon dioxide has increased and my tolerance has improved over days and weeks. And I then went out riding and swimming and my ability to not breathe out I was fitter. I felt fitter. So yeah, tell us about a bit around what's happening in exercise that makes people feel fitter and healthier. Great, great question. So it's a lot to do with uh, carbon dioxide and nitric oxide again, right? And increasing your tolerance to carbon dioxide. So um, anaerobic exercise is like doing exercise where you, let's say you're riding a bike, right? If you want to get really good at riding a bike, you you want to take the stabilizers off, right? So aerobic exercise is like riding a bike with stabilizers, okay? Anaerobic exercise is where you actually shut off the oxygen supply for a bit 
So I've taken the stabilizers off. So let's say oxygen is like the stabilizer, all right, on your bike. So when you do, a, um, let's say, what yoga is supposed to be is an anaerobic exercise. Mainstream yoga is actually aerobic, where you're doing one pose to the next. Anaerobic is where you hold each pose for maximum effort, okay, for as long as you can. In the Yoga Sutras, it says you must go into each pose with the intention that you have to hold this forever. So you have to prepare your mind, you're going to hold this pose forever. So what that really means is you're holding that pose to maximum effort, so you can't hold it any longer, right? That's where the strength comes. The reason why? When you contract a muscle, right, and you'll see there's new exercises now with resistance bands and, and restricting the blood flow, right? There's a reason why they're doing that. So let's say you contract a muscle and you hold that contraction. That contraction shuts off blood supply to that organ, that muscle. And what that does is that when you're exercising, your muscles forced to use the oxygen that's in that store of that muscle. So what it then means is you create this brief period of intermittent hypoxia, right, lower than normal oxygen, that triggers that area to go, right, I need to adapt to grow stronger. You produce more stem cells, they come out of circulation, and then you increase cardiovascular health, uh, like proliferation there, and you improve uh, myoglobin levels. So then the next time you're, you're going into that environment, you're adaptive, so you're fitter the next time, okay? If you do it as a regular practice, it will last. Obviously, if you just do it once, it will last for a bit, but then you'll go back to normal. So it's something you're meant to do regularly. Um, but basically, that's, that's it. So when you, when you become very adapted to low oxygen, you need less oxygen to produce the same amount of energy. So, you know, when you breathe, you're producing energy in the form of ATP in the mitochondria. And when you do anaerobic exercise, you are exercising the mitochondria to be more efficient at using that oxygen. And what you're also doing is you're like actually stimulating the production of more mitochondria as well in the cell. So we may have like a thousand, two thousand, it may go up to like five thousand mitochondria under a lot of exercise. So you're more efficiently using oxygen. Okay. And that has a knock on effect of you're going to have more efficient energy moving around the body right so you're you're going to feel more fitter you're going to feel healthier and what you have is carbon dioxide tolerance so your your breathing will slow down and you'll be able to handle higher levels of carbon dioxide in the system and carbon dioxide as I said is a, a dilator it dilates blood vessels it improves blood flow to all of your organs and it also um is a bronchodilator so it generally is a relaxer. It makes you feel calm and relaxed. And, and oxygen's, carbon dioxide is also a suppressor of excitation of the neurons in your brain. So when you are having a panic attack, one of the best things you can do is breathe through a paper bag because you're breathing back in the carbon dioxide. And it calms, it pacifies the neurons, calms the stress response. Okay. So carbon dioxide has all these amazing things, but then there's nitric oxide as well. Nitric oxide is equally important in getting the oxygen to the, uh, to the body tissue cells 
and it has all these other benefits. It's a vasodilator, um, it's a bronchodilator, it's antibacterial, antiviral, has incredible benefits as well. And it also is what's the mechanism action for Viagra, right? So Viagra improves nitric oxide um, ability to dilate blood vessels, all right? And that's one of the reasons why you get better erections because of uh, Viagra. So, um, you know, one of the problems why people might get issues of like, you know, things like erectile dysfunction or uh, chronic tension, pain, stress, asthma, um, any of these sorts of diseases where it's like stress related is because they haven't got high enough carbon dioxide tolerance and they're not producing enough nitric oxide. They may be mouth breathers, chronic mouth breathers, which can cause all of these problems. Mm. And so, then, so yeah. do you agree then that if someone is a chronic overbreather, as in their their carbon dioxide levels are always very low, um, that that does make their cells unhealthy for quite a few reasons, as in they can't become a good fat burner, so they've always got to be grabbing the sugars in those energetic processes. Um, that. Um, a low oxygen state is also good for other tumor growth and things like that as well. So it, what other aspects of health are affected by um, that chronic overbreathing? Yeah. So basically if you don't have low body tissue, if you have low body tissue oxygenation, so your bore effects messed up, you're not getting the oxygen off the red blood cells, then almost all diseases, are going to potentially emerge. So cancer is associated with low body tissue oxygenation. Uh, most degenerative diseases, because it means you're not getting blood supply, adequate oxygen supply to those tissues and organs. And also when you um, are chronically stressed in this way, your blood vessels constrict and you may also get tension where you're stiff. And that means that you're not getting adequate blood supply to those organs and tissues. Chronic, chronic pain and tension is the, another symptom of chronic stress that will then lead to degeneration of your cells in those areas. And actually just slowing your breathing down, becoming better at like with carbon dioxide and producing more nitrogen, that alone, if you just practice reduced breathing techniques, can actually reduce things like chronic pain. You know, chronic pain is a huge industry right now in the world. You know, the mm. opiate epidemic is, is crazy. It's like, it's, and it's so harmful to humanity. So learning to breathe correctly could help people stop all these issues with pain. Mm. And do you see the high constant blood sugars, high constant insulin, that would also be inhibiting the amount of oxygen that can get into the cells because of those high levels and poor breathing that comes with. I'd love, yeah, you've, you've mentioned as well about previously about how, how eating is related to changes in oxygenation of the cells as well. Yeah. Yeah. So your diet has a massive impact actually diet and your exercise levels. Okay. And sleep, those three lifestyle factors are paramount because if you eat highly processed foods full of sugar, you're, you're triggering the stress response, right? By 
you know, um, messing with the insulin levels of the system and your body freaks out when you have too much sugar coming in. And um, so that makes you, forces you to breathe faster. You actually hyperventilate when you eat too much sugar, okay? Because uh, your body's trying to burn it all off, right? Um, so that can trigger diabetes in itself, okay? Um, and then same thing, if you, if you actually oversleep, there's periods of the, of the night where we suffer, most people suffer from, um, this, it's called morning hyperventilation. And actually most heart attacks occur between four in the morning and seven um, a.m., right? And you can ask doctors that they'll, they'll confirm this. And it's because we have a tendency to hyperventilate during these hours. And it can go up to like 12 p.m. So that's why a lot of yoga and pranayama exercises were recommended to do in the morning when you wake up. And actually, the more efficient you are using oxygen, the less you need to use oxygen, the slower your breathing is, okay? The less you need to sleep. And yogis, superhuman, like very adaptive yogis, may only need two or three hours a night of sleep. And what happens is they wake up at like 4 a.m., okay? And they miss this morning hyperventilation period that happens. And if, you're, if you have this hyperventilation while you're asleep still, okay, that's when your reptilian brain is controlling things. And so you're hyperventilating when you don't need to be, and that causes stress internally right however if you get up at that time and you do your meditation and exercises and pranayama you override this and you you counteract this issue okay it's it's mm. really strange if you look at all of the yogic traditions of waking up early at the you know 4 30 a.m is usually when they wake up and start doing their practice that's the best time for pranayama actually um you know, there's a reason for that. It's yeah. It's I think it would be related to probably the dawn effect when cortisol's increasing to wake you up to keep blood sugars up. And if yeah. you're not at all fat adapted, then your cortisol's going to really push out because your body's freaking out that hey, I've got no access to energy and my blood yeah. sugar's dropping. Whereas when you're healthy and fat adapted, your body doesn't freak out if blood sugar's a little bit low at four in the morning yes, because true. you can run on fat and ketones. So yeah. there's a lot of interactions there between health in every aspect and then the response that it has in, as you said, in, in breathing and oxygenation and everything, and then all those chronic diseases. So it's sort of like you can approach perhaps one or the other. So someone maybe could keep their terrible diet, but if they really double down on the breathing, they would see great effects. And likewise, yeah. if they double down on their diet, their breathing would naturally improve even if they weren't aware of it. But I've been taping my mouth closed for, you know, at least three or four years now um, mm -hmm. since I first uh, got Patrick McEwen's book. And yeah, I don't miss a night without taping it. And even if I do miss a night occasionally, I don't notice it. I still sleep well because I'm so adapted now to breathing through my nose, wow. um, being uh, those high levels of carbon dioxide and feeling good that yeah um so what what foods in your opinion like let's say for some obvious ones like coffee <laughs> um is a trigger for a lot of people um a lot of people that i work with that are really fatigued and have got health issues 
they do tend to see feel much better without coffee. Do you have an opinion on whether that's good for the CO2 levels or not? I mean, I love coffee, so I can't I can't say anything against it, except for, yeah, you've got to know thyself. So mm. one of my philosophies is um, you've got to, there's no one size fits all. And I, I follow the Ayurvedic principles where you can work out what's the right diet for you based on your energy types. Um, but obviously stimulants of any form will make you breathe faster. That's just how it is. Uh, so if you're not exercising, if you're eating bad food and you're drinking loads of coffee, probably not such a good idea. But if you're doing it, you know, in the right way, if you're, if you're balanced and you, I have a very simple rule, the no, no factory diet, try and have everything as pure and whole food based as possible. Um, if you can just do that and just stop eating things made in packets, that goes to bread, that goes for all of the processed foods that you may not think are processed foods like pizza breads and you know um things like that so if you can just have that one rule and when i was a pharmacist i i, I did these switches in the pharmacy very simple stopped people from eating processed foods and just started to eat normal whole foods like you'll be amazed how few people could actually cook for themselves it was mm. crazy i had to send them videos at that time youtube was just coming around and i sent them videos on how to make their own foods it was crazy and those who did it got much better and you'd be surprised how many people drink fizzy sugary drinks all day long like coca-cola thinking mm. that it's okay you know and um so just making a switch from coke to lemon juice water you know mm. you couldn't you could have like soda water if, if you really need the fizz but yeah. having like fresh lemon juice in it is great um, and loads of people did that because they just liked the fizz. They weren't drinking Coke because they loved the taste of Coke. It was more that they liked the sparkly taste. So I say, well, just switch this and see how that goes. Man, the amount of people who came off, because remember, Coke's full of caffeine as well. Mm. The amount of people who came off blood pressure medications, just in that, astonishing. There was one and guy who was drinking 15 cups of coffee a day, right? With three spoonfuls of sugar in each cup. He looked all right. He didn't look that unhealthy. And the rest of his diet was actually great. But he was on every blood pressure medication under the sun. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? It doesn't make sense. And then I found out when he told me, because I asked him at the end, like, what do you drink? He said, I love my coffee. I drink like around 15 cups a day. He was a builder. He works in construction. And his doctor never bothered asking him about any of these things. Mm. As soon as he came off the coffee, boom, he wasn't on so many meds. It was incredible yeah. difference. So yeah, coffee, you've got to get the right source. You shouldn't be drinking 15 cups a day. You don't need that. Yeah. Um, and you shouldn't put sugar into it. And you should use, like, that's why I like, like um, adding ghee to coffee. So I have a morning concoction that has very high quality coffee. So I get it from uh, in Thailand, they have like really organically grown, amazing coffee. So I have that with ghee and a little bit of, little bit of honey, not too much, and a little bit of cacao, pure cacao, yeah. which is good quality chocolate with the fat in it. And um, I blend that up, it tastes absolutely delicious. And I won't eat then for a long time. 
know? And would you do that before a morning routine or afterwards? I would do it um, usually after. And a morning, a breath work routine. I would is, drink is that... water when I wake up. Like hydration yeah. in the morning is super important. Yeah. And getting, clearing the bowels if you can, before you do any yoga and breath work, you want to clear the bowels. So well, that's, that's something my morning routine. Interesting that you'd mentioned um, on another podcast that I've been listening to that you were on, uh, how actually increasing the CO2 levels and doing a bit of that breath lowering and, and increasing the CO2 can be really good for constipation. Oh, it's um, and of course, unblocking the nose as well. Yeah. So I do um, a very simple thing in the morning. I do, I hold, I hold my nose and I walk around the kitchen several times. And this right? is after a breath yeah. out. Yep. Yeah. After the exhale. And, yep. you know, after I've drunk, I drink like, like three or four decent glasses of water. And then I'll do this um, walking around and boom, <laughs> it's like straight away you need to go to the toilet and you just clear your bowels and then you're ready to do exercise because you shouldn't really do yoga with full bowels. Okay? You shouldn't do any breath work really with, with full bowels. Yeah. And so in your, your company that you've started in the last um, few years, is it? Sorry, when did Soma Breath start? Yeah, that started um, about two and a half years ago now. Yep. Um, so is the key approach how to do some breath work that increases the carbon dioxide levels and the tolerance? Yeah, so let me, I'll give you um, a little bit of a, a history of, of how it all began. So, so years ago, I was a pharmacist and I got sick with chronic illness. I ended up housebound. Um, for like almost a year and that's when I learned pranayama for the first time and it was very similar techniques to like Buteko and Wim Hof kind of like together um that's what my Swami taught me and that with Ayurvedic lifestyle changes and using um self-hypnosis techniques which I got from a book called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind where you use, where he was a pharmacist who was also a Christian scientist and a Ayurvedic doctor. And he basically brought the two worlds together, the West and the East philosophies. And he came up with this process of scientific prayers, which was amazing. And it's basically just using affirmations in a deep meditative state to reprogram the unconscious mind, the subconscious mind, which is where all of the bad programs get formed that cause disease. So chronic fear, stress, tension, you can change the consciousness of your cells. And in order to repattern them, you got to go in there and rewire that programming. So I actually used the pranayama techniques to get into auto states of consciousness as well with music. I'm a music producer to help that process and then affirmations. And I had amazing success with that. That I think was a huge part of what helped me get better. And that led me to form the music therapy site and called Trip Neural Meditation. And then that got used by therapists all around the world, like um, clinics, health centers. And it also got the attention of Wim Hof. That's how I became good friends with Wim. I mean, there's another funny story about how we met, but then I ended up forming a band with him and I made the soundtrack to the Wim Hof Method. I went on tour with him. We became good friends. But I was really good at leading people into 
peak states. It's some kind of gift I somehow was blessed with. I live on a bit of a hippie island, Copangan, similar to Bali, if you've ever been there. And we have an amazing community of yogis and people into things like static dance. And I'd run, a, I'd run my own festival here. And I would do these group breathwork classes with like um, two, 300 people at a time. And it would be like multi-orgasmic, you know, experience. With the music pumping. Ecstatic. And I'd produce all the music and the transformations and it was amazing. And this was just basically using a combination of different pranayama techniques. Because when I first discovered how good pranayama was for my own health, I, I got really deep into it and I went down the rabbit hole big time and started learning all these other techniques, going into tantric yoga and learning all of that. And then I devised my own experience. And that was the early soma breath journeys that I did, which was a combination of rhythmic breathing to a beat. When you breathe in, perfect harmony to a beat. Um, so music has a beat to a rhythm, right? So when you breathe in time to that beat, that magic can happen. Uh, especially when you're all breathing together at the same time, that's the real magic. So imagine 200 people all in sync with each other. It does something to the electromagnetic fields of the whole group. And you have these amazing kind of powerful spiritual experiences. So that's what I got known for. And I started to take that on tour and I ended up working with like Mind Valley and a few other people. And now I'm a Mind Valley author, if you've heard of them. Um, and that took a life of its own. And actually, uh, the founder of Zumba actually happened to be in one of my classes. And he was like, dude, this is amazing. You've got to do something with this. And he basically encouraged me, pushed me to do something. Um, you know, with, with, with what I, this technique I developed, the music and breath. And that eventually led into the first Soma Breath instructor training. And then I was like, but there's so much more to, to breath work. And, you know, studying Wim myself, using Buteyko method back then to heal myself and Pranayama, which is where Buteyko comes from, and going back to source, I was like, we can make a much more profound training for instructors than, is, than just this routine that gets you super ecstatic and you know, into a cosmic state. And um, so that developed then into a whole school of pranayama, which is soma breath, but based on the ancient roots. And I, I had since during that time um, also met an amazing doctor in the Himalayas called Prakash Marsh, who's got like some of the most cited like research papers on different pranayama techniques. And he really understands this high altitude training and breath control, um, the relationship of, you know, holding your breath intermittent hypoxia and stem cells and enhancing your health. And I was like blown away by his research. So I went to train with him, he invited me. And um, he actually ended up becoming an advisor for our company and, uh, and it's grown into this incredible school. And now, you know, because our results are so good, you know, we've grown into like over a thousand instructors in just a couple of years. You know, we have like, it's funny, like actually breath, because it's so magical, it, it can actually be used as a way to enhance things like the law of attraction. If you've ever heard of that and the secret. And one of the guys in the secret last week actually contacted me and said, 
I want to become one of your Soma Breath instructors because this is the secret. This is the real deal. So that was cool. And, um, but really, what it is, is it's really, and actually a psychedelic research company, a therapy company have just licensed our stuff because of this one technique of water states consciousness. But what I discovered was that not everyone can go that deep with these breathwork experiences unless they are optimized at, with oxygen and carbon dioxide tolerance. Because our technique revolves around breath retention and holding your breath and also fast rhythmic breathing, like stages of slow rhythmic breathing and then building up to faster rhythmic breathing, which is a form of hyperventilation. So if you're not adapted properly to oxygen and, your, and carbon dioxide, you can't go deep in the breath retention. And if you have problems with um, oxygen and oxidative stress, and you can't even handle a little bit of hyperventilation, then it can wreck your nervous system. And I see this as a big mistake with breath work being like pushed out there as this cure-all for everything. Mm. And these techniques like holotropic and rebirth, and if they're used out of context, can cause more harm than good. And what you're seeing is there's people who facilitate these things telling people saying that this is the healthy way to breathe. And you'll be shocked at the amount of people who breathe from their mouth now and hyperventilate thinking that's healthy. So I was like, no, we need proper training. In yoga, you would never do these high hyperventilation, high energy breathing techniques that you'll find in holotropic and rebirthing unless you've been properly prepared for it, right? Mm -hmm. Because it can mess up the nervous system. So I was like, right, we need to have this training in there. And I created Soma Breath Fit, which is a, which is a course that leads you up to adequately be able to um, handle higher yoga practices. But it also, because it's based around this traditional pranayama and buteko, it improves, dramatically improves your health, right? But then we have the 21-day course, the 21-day awakening protocol, which is a breathwork protocol that takes you from experiencing intermittent hypoxia in a gentle way in the first week to then gradually building up. And that protocol mimics what's going on in clinics uh, right now in intermittent hypoxic training clinics where they simulate high altitude. It, it simulates that same protocol through breath retention, mm. but done in a safe way. So it builds you up gradually. It doesn't just throw you straight into very advanced, crazy breathing techniques. It does it gradually. And that is a much smarter way, I think, to deliver these techniques because what we're finding is that there's people who are watching like a video about Wim Hof method, doing it wrong, getting stressed out, coming to us and then finding out a more simple and easier and gentle way of doing the same techniques. You know, people who have done holotropic and had like Kundalini awakenings, but they've left them completely wrecked mm -hmm. physiologically and psychologically. You have come to our trainings and gone, ah, if only I'd known this. I wouldn't have jumped into this, you know? So, so yeah, we, we're yeah. trying to bridge the science with the tradition, with the uh, safety and precaution so that people can actually enjoy advanced techniques, but at the right time. You know yeah. I mean? It's a bit like um, exercise. If you go and yes. just did 
a lot of like if you went and did five minutes at anaerobic you know without having a, a huge aerobic base to be able to handle that then you would absolutely wreck yourself if you were in a fragile state yes you could be wrecked for for month yes. um yeah whereas once you've got the aerobic base you then would start with the anaerobic of like say 10 seconds and i love you know the research that says how much do you need to exercise per week to get fitter or per day and it's like 10 seconds if you yeah. do 10 seconds of anaerobic work a day you will get fitter yes. because your carbon dioxide tolerance will increase you got it man. yeah and it's um it's so so do you think that there's a lot of let's say the the elite athletes that are going to altitude to look for advantages i've spoken to some and they don't actually understand what's going on they just go well it works for me so i do it and others go well it doesn't work for me i don't do it and some come down two weeks before an event and others go nah i just have to come down three days before the event or otherwise i'm flat so there's a lot of people doing a lot of guesswork with this altitude training where if they actually learn how they're breathing and we're aware of how they're breathing at altitude then when they come back down they could maintain some of those effects by doing some limited breathing like the the elite the elite uh athletic world just seems to be totally it's a it's a massive advantage they're just not understanding fully yeah um i mean all the science is out there they only have to look at intermittent hypoxic training clinics IHHT as well, which is intermittent hyperoxic hypoxic training, which is where you get high oxygen for a period, low oxygen for a period. And that fluctuation, the big change in oxygen mm. has even more like immediate effects like faster. So that's what we're doing. Fast breathing for a few minutes, followed by stopping your breath for you know minutes. And mm. that simulates the same thing. Um, and you've got to just look at all the science out there, you know, and look at Wim Hof, for example. Look, can many people compete with him even at his age? No, he's a real elite athlete, so he must be doing something right. And then, you know, like Ben Greenfield's a good friend and he's he loves our course because it helps um, lots of different types of people, like people who aren't able to maybe handle such intense stuff straight away and things like that. So all the science is already out there. They only need to go out and just look at modeling success. Look at the people already successful. Mm. Well, I use it. Come to our Soma Breath and look at the um, 21 day course. We, we actually have like Olympic athletes now doing like swimmers and some, um, yeah, we've got some people coming already. Yeah. Well, when I, when I was struggling with fatigue a few years ago, um, when I got the book from Patrick and I did, as I said, I did that breath work and I went out and I was fitter. And so previously my, my problem with fatigue and a lot of people's problem with energy production is the, the oxygen is not getting into the cells. So you go lactic very quickly. Wow. You can have a low heart rate, just over a hundred going up a little hill and suddenly you're lactic when, when you're feeling good and healthy, you could sprint up that and do it 10 times and not be lactic, yes. but doing the limited breath work really helped me in that period where I didn't feel energetic enough and getting my heart rate up made me lactic, but I was still able to do the carbon dioxide tolerance training. And that still made a huge difference for me when I was getting better. So yeah, I think anybody out there wanting to improve their energy levels um, should definitely look into that course. 
Um, So a question about the yoga that you mentioned that a lot of yoga doesn't do it right. And is that because a lot of them, they say, breathe through your mouth in and out as you're doing each movement. So if you stick your bum up, breathe in, stick your bum down, breathe out, in, out, and it's all through the mouth. Is that where they're getting it a bit wrong instead of trying to just breathe slowly and as little as they could while they did these um, exercises or is the rhythmic breathing good at certain times? Obviously you've said it is. Well, you should never be breathing through your mouth in yoga mm. at all ever. I don't know where which school's teaching that. That's like, okay. <laughs> That's terrible actually. Um, they, they may be confusing. So in Ashtanga, you do like Ujjayi breath for each pose. So you do very slow breaths in and out, which is actually a very effective way of doing things for newbies, uh, for sure. Um, it's a good, good way of training anaerobic exercise. But um, if, you're, if you don't know how to do Ujjayi breath through your nose, what they sometimes tell you to do is like constrict your throat and go like this. <laughs> But really, you're meant to do it through your nose. You're meant to go, slow, it's like Darth Vader sounds. Mm. It sounds like Darth Vader. And it really constricts the breath, slows it right down. But it should be done through the nose. Um, so when it comes to yoga, you're, what you're meant to actually do, according to the traditional yoga, is when you do a forward bend, you exhale fully into the pose and hold your breath after the exhale, kumbhaka, right? For several seconds or until you can't really hold it, the first sign of stress. Then you breathe in like slowly and then breathe in again, back into the pose so you can go deeper. And you'll find like, just say for a forward bend, if you do that, the first time you might go down like this, the second time you'll go in like this, third time more and then you might find you can go even deeper into that pose with more exhales so so is that um, maybe as the oxygen and blood flow get into those muscles they become more relaxed the carbon dioxide levels you're mm. increasing carbon dioxide and nitric oxide and that, that gives you more makes you more and more relaxed and also flexible. when you breathe out exhalation stimulates parasympathetic nervous system mm. right so that allows you to relax into the pose. But when you do back bends, any like say Cobra, and you bend back, you're meant to breathe in and hold your breath on the inhale. So you have full lungs. So any back bends, you breathe in, any forward bends, you breathe out. Okay? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it, that's a simple rule. And you yeah. hold each breath on each pose. So you can't hold it any longer or the first signs of stress and then you repeat yeah. and you're meant to hold the pose until you can't hold it any longer so yeah. when your muscles are too tired you then shift to the next pose so would you hold a cobra and do multiple breaths while holding the cobra or would you come yeah. out of it when you needed a breath and then go back into it well what you'll do is you'll you may relax a little bit and then you breathe yeah. back into it Okay. But with the yeah. forward bends, you can really notice yourself being able to stretch deeper and deeper yeah. into the pose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and rhythm. Unreal. Talking about rhythmic breathing. So yeah. when you're exercising, intense exercise, if you can keep a rhythm 
of the breath, okay, while you're exercising, is actually prevents lactation, lactic acid from building up too fast, right? Where it gets like you're burning inside and the pain stops you from being able to carry on. If you keep the rhythm going with your breath, it, that circular breath, actually, where you're not pausing your breath at all, can actually really help when you're getting really into the intense exercise. And what you'll also find is like the first few minutes is where you actually are quite anaerobic in your, and you start to produce a lot of access. So at first, you might find you're, you're, you're struggling and you might sweat a lot. Um, but then your body gets used to it. And um, is that, you, you notice that? So the first yeah. like five, 10 minutes of exercising is like often mm. the hardest. And then when you get into it, your body adapts and you start mm. using the fat reserves. And, and, the, um, and the vasodilation opens yeah. up the pathways for the oxygen and the blood flow. Yeah. And... So what I think some people do is they, they give up exercise like too soon because they like get tired too quickly or they burn, they get the lactic acid. But mm. actually, if you can carry on, and one of the ways to minimize that, breathe through your nose, keep a circular breath the whole way through. And then actually then afterwards, it's much easier to carry on. The and so you can actually on. make, you could make the warm up shorter by doing some breath holds and, and limiting your breath in your warm up would increase the rate of the vasodilation occurring. And you could get those increased oxygen levels and be warmed up in a shorter amount of time or yeah, even well, do it without even exercising. You could just do breath work and then you're more ready to exercise. Yeah. Yeah. If you do one of our uh, daily doses that optimizes you for exercise straight away because it's rhythmic breathing and then breath retention. And, and it also sounds like you can do something very simple, like get down on the floor and do push-ups, mm. holding your breath, you know, or squats or a few yeah. of those different body exercises. So that will give you a quick, like, wake up, you know, then you can. Go, yeah. Go quick, on. quick vasodilation, quick, yeah. quick oxygen in Loads the cells. Yeah. And it, I think it's really important. The point that you said that a lot of people that are over breathing at night, particularly just before they wake up, um, are waking up with really low oxygen levels in their cells because they've, they've gotten rid of all the carbon dioxide while over breathing. So the morning, sounds like a really important time to reset your body and give it a little push towards let's get back to higher CO2 levels and get some more oxygen into the body. And it sounds like that's yeah, crucial time to, to be considering what you're doing. Oh yeah, man. And like one of the real magic techniques is humming. If you like, you wake up and like do 10 minutes of humming, like bring your awareness with the vibration there between your eyes do that do long tones right it just totally well and then you get the um get loads of the parasympath the parasympathetic vagal tone function um activation as well through yeah. the vocal cords of the vagus nerve going through the, the humming neck as well. produces seven times the amount of, or up to 15 times the amount of nitric oxide 
than just normal nasal breathing. So you're really optimizing nitric mm. oxide first thing in the day. Yeah. And so that's an interesting point that we don't want people to confuse with if you breathe out a long, slow out breath, that's very different to breathing out short and hard and then yeah. short, hard inhalation. So you, yes. you are trying to expel all your breath, but the way in which you do it changes the response in the body, obviously. Yeah, because you're slowly releasing carbon dioxide and you're not breathing in any more oxygen. Mm. So you're actually maintaining a higher carbon dioxide level. Yeah, because yeah, as you breathe it out of your lungs, it's building up in the cells. So you're stopping, you're stopping respiration in the cells. Well, not stopping it, but you're not taking the carbon dioxide away from the cells. Yeah, yeah. The little lungs in the cells still produce carbon dioxide, but you're not going in and grabbing it because you're just doing one long, slow exhalation. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just letting go of one lungful. But if Mm. you like go. Yeah, I've already let go three in just that short space of time, three mm. lungfuls of carbon dioxide, right? Mm. And three, three lungfuls yeah. from the mitochondria, from the cells. Yeah, yeah. you grabbed it three times from there. Yeah. yeah. And, but if you do like one, mm, yeah. like I can go on for like 30 seconds, 40 seconds with one tongue. Mm. If you do that, your, own, your breath rate is like one or two breaths per minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fascinating. I love that picture of the little lungs in the cell, you know, still producing carbon dioxide. So they're getting adapted while you're only breathing out the CO2 that was already in your lungs. So, um, yeah, that's, that's great picture for me to take, take with me what's happening. Cause sometimes it's confusing when you say, when I think about breath, what's happening in there when I'm breathing out here, um, so I always trying to make it super clear and understand it a bit better. Um, I've, I've kept you a really long time already, Naraj. That's been unreal. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add um, that, that people really need to, to be aware of or just how's the best places to find you? Cool. Yeah, I think more than anything right now, it, more than physical fitness and being physically healthy is obviously really important because it does also help what I'm going to say now is our emotional health, right? And, you know, so I really believe the community is a cure. If you look at all the oldest living people, you know, they have some kind of social contribution um, and some significance socially, culturally, uh, and they're not just ignored and forgotten about. So in our new modern society, where, especially with what's just happened in the last year and so, we're becoming more divided, more separated, more isolated and disconnected than ever before. Technology is doing that. And then all this insanity with this virus is all these restrictions and stuff is doing the same thing. It's like a, there's an, a spiritual attack on the spirit and consciousness of human beings right now, a rate that's never happened before. Um, or it has, but. You know, we, this, like now is like, we can all understand and feel it immediately. But what that means is that now more than ever before, we need to come together and unite as a, as a race. So community is the cure, in my opinion, to a lot of the world's problems. 
So one of my big conspiracies, okay, because conspiracy means to breathe together. Conspire actually means breathe together. Inspire means breathe in. Expire means to breathe out. Conspire means to breathe together. And before conspiracy got turned into an evil thing, um, people would conspire together. They would, it would be a big culture around breathing. The spiritual means to breathe. It comes from the Latin root, espiritu, breath. Okay, so spiritual literally means to breathe. We're all spiritual, okay? But my point is that if we can all get together and, and come together, and one thing that we all have in common, regardless of all these differences we now have, politics and you know, identity, gender, and all this stuff, is we all breathe. That's one thing we all have in common, right? It's the same color blood and we all breathe. So when we all get together and breathe together, magic happens. And that's why I'm really focused on building this community of Soma Breath. So if you want to join Soma Breath, go to Facebook, sign up for our Facebook group. You can get involved there. You'll meet. If you're finding you're feeling alien, disconnected, if you think if people think you're weird because you want to be healthy and exercise and do cool stuff, um, which actually was my problem in England, like where I come from, I, I would get mocked for wanting to be successful and be healthy and happy. It's crazy. What a weird culture. So I had to go and find a new one. I had to find a new group. I need to find people who had my best interests at heart. And that's what happened. And I eventually found those people. And that's why I'm thriving now. And that's why the people who mocked me in the past regret it and wish that they listened to me, you know. So um now more than ever we need to come together so come to soma breath facebook group you can also uh sign up for free stuff at somabreath.com you can get involved there and, and try out some of our free breath meditations um and then learn about our various courses as well and become an instructor we have an amazing instructor community you know people by sharing is real is really caring so I really encourage people to share what they've learned that's benefited them. And we have an amazing system for helping people do that and get rewarded for that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my, uh, yeah, that's unreal. It's, it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? That breathing is something that we do more than anything else, more than, more than how much we eat, more than how much we exercise or, or sleep or anything. But when you say to someone, you can get healthier by, changing the way that you breathe they sort of it's almost too easy um it's a bit like saying oh you can get healthier by stopping eating processed foods it's like but but nobody everyone else still eats processed foods and nobody else is stopping to focus on their breath um, but all you've got to do is look around and see what's happening to the people that aren't doing those obvious things but i really implore people to check out Soma breath for sure, because I've been saying it for years um, and practicing it myself for years that this carbon dioxide tolerance um, is a crucial state of health. Yeah, to improve our ability to use the oxygen that's floating around in our blood is um, is really important. And yeah, it, 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 there's so many aspects of ways to use it that I try to pass on to my clients, but there's definitely a lot more I can learn. Um, so yeah, I'll be checking out those resources for sure. Um, so I really look forward to, to sharing this with everyone. 
um, and hopefully convincing a few more people how important the breath is, even though it's such an obvious thing um, that it's just, it is crucial to, to be aware of it and do less of it, basically. Amazing. I love it. <laughs> do, do less of it. Thanks so much, Naraj, for joining us. Um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have us and thanks so much for your time. And yeah, really exciting to, to chat to you today. So thanks so much. Amazing. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Naraj for coming on the Life Performance Podcast. That was a fascinating interview and has really got me thinking about the role that oxygen and carbon dioxide have in the body. I was already thinking about it, but now I'm linking more and more things together. And it's really exciting to be able to think about the connections between what causes inflammation, what causes stress, and all of those things end up with the same result, which is low oxygen in the cells. So building that carbon dioxide tolerance is really, really important. And I really suggest that you do check out his Soma Breath. There's courses on there that you can do. It'd be really fascinating to get into that. His blog is The Renegade Pharmacist. And also, if you want to learn more about it from me and how I can explain it to you, then I'd love to hear from you and take you on board as a client for a one-on-one session or for an ongoing session to work through a period of a month or three months. And we can really knuckle down and getting that CO2 tolerance up through many pathways of reducing inflammation through those lifestyle changes that are so important and what we just talked about. So that was a really fascinating podcast. I hope you got something out of it. And thanks so much for listening. See you next time.